0: Good morning and welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning the fifth Aliyah, Chamishi in Parshaski Sisa. The topic of our Aliyah is the second Luchos, the second tablets, and the Midois Harachamem. Our Aliyah is only nine psokim long. It should sound familiar because it's the laning we hear on a fast day. It runs from Perek Lamadalid, Pasak Aleph to Tes in Nertara. Um, now, Let's take a look at a brief overview and then consider some points to point It's a very profound and thought-provoking aliyah. Hashem tells Moshe at this point in time, now that that atonement has been achieved, now you, Moshe, are going to carve out, you're going to chisel out the tablets of stone like the first one the first ones which you broke and you'll be ready in the morning Moshe Rabenu is told to come up to Har Sinai and to go to the mountain nobody is allowed to come up with him again no, none of the, the people none of the animals and Moshe Rabbeinu then and there created the second Luchais right and he comes down and he, and he and he approaches Hashem and Hashem calls out to him and passes in front of him and teaches him what we call today the Yud-Gimel Midas Harachim, the 13 attributes of mercy. Hashem, Hashem, Kel-Rachum, Erech, Vemes, Chesed, Alofim, The division of which are, is somewhat complex. The Gemara goes into some permutations. The Rishonim have different versions of this. But there are 13 different attributes of how Hashem can, uh, interacts with this. And Moshe Rabbeinu at this point in time bows down, prostrates himself, and... And asks Hashem, and and thanks Hashem for going in their midst and atoning the nation of Israel. And you should please forgive us for all of our misgivings and misdeeds. A few basic points to ponder. Point number one is, when did this take place? When is this whole episode happening? The explains this happens on the 29th of Av. So this is preceding the third set of 40 days, uh, when Moshe Renu is going up to the mountain, which is when this command is given. The critical question that we need to ask about the second set of Luchos is, what is the difference between the first and the second set of Luchos? Very fascinating question, which is worthwhile asking. Were they identical in wording? Were there any differences? So it is interesting to note that there are those, like the Ibn Ezra, who suggest that the first set of Luchos and the second set of Lukas are reflected in the variant texts between Pasha's and Vayeschanan. That's not how all the Rishonim look at it, but the Ibn Ezra says the first set was Hashem's good expression of it, and Moshe Rabbeinu's explanation of it was in Parshas Vayeschanan. He explains some of the necessary differences. However, the, the Ibn Ezra does quote the, the person he calls HaGa'on, the genius, um, or the Rosh Hashiva in those days that was the name for Rosh Hashiva Hagaon says that in fact the second set were better meharishonim were more worthy than the um the first ones because they were given on the first the, the second ones were given on a holier day which is Yom Kippur rather than Shavuos, and they um and, uh, the, uh, and they came down on a very special day um and so the Ibn Ezra responds by saying, chalom "ve." These are like dreamers' words; they're not worthy. They don't really make a difference. This is because clearly the first, they they were the first ones were more important because they were written by the Maase Elokim. They were the act of God as well. That's the Ibn Ezra's perspective. If you want to dig deeper, what does the Gaon really mean? So Hayim Ekdavar, Rabbi Berlin, has a beautiful essay on this topic in his commentary, Hayim Ekdavar on the Torah here, and he makes a very, very few, very beautiful notes. The one note that he, that he makes is, in, in trying to understand the Gaon's wording, is he says the following... He says that the change, there was a seismic change in not just what the Luchos were, but the way that people relate to divine ideas. The first set of Luchos were where Hashem conveyed all of the divine ideas coherently in one place. It was very clear, it was incandescent, people now just understood what Hashem wanted. The second ones were much more complex and much more through innuendo, which required people to work to understand what was hidden and embedded into the, in the text itself. A lot more work needed to be, done, to be done, which is why, in fact, the first ones were created by Hashem, the second ones by Moshe, p'sol you should carve them out. That was a metaphor for how Torah would be learned going in here on inwards, which means that the way the Torah will be learned is through effort, through zeal, through toil. It needs to be understood, it needs to be unpacked. Moshe Rabbeinah did this with his children, and then he... he, he um, Encourage the rest of Israel to take this on beyond as well. Why is this? Because it was necessary, says so the Haimekdavar, for the next complex complex times of sin in the nation of Israel, that they don't get things on the silver platter, they don't have the Torah right in front of them, they have to work for it to get back to it. And this whole process is part of the therapy necessary to redeserve the Torah as well. In fact, the Xavar Kabbalah, Rav Yaakov Mecklenburg, has a comment in which he notes, which really dovetails to this idea very, very beautifully. He says that, in fact, on the first set of Luchos, all the details, all the ideas were written around the words on the luchas itself on the tablet so around them were all the subtext all the ideas were written on the first luchas. those were broken the second lochus the second tablets were were missing all that subtext the subtext was waiting for us to understand to delve into understand the innuendo to understand the tradition to be able to delve into the depths, to appreciate it and that was the change that had occurred right here very beautiful a perspective in terms of what the the shift was between the two lochus now, why is it that it was so specific to Moshe? Why was that Moshe Rabbeinu was told to carve them out? The Gmarin Adorim, on Laben Chesam, quotes Rabi Chama bar Reche Chanina, that Moshe Rabbeinu actually was given a gift here. He was able to get the psolasan, psolasan, the 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 carvings, when the chipping. So he those beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stones. These beautiful, very rich stones. And when Moshe Benin carved out, Hashem says, "You can have psal l'cha, You may keep the carvings." And from that, Moshe Benin got rich. Why? Why is that the case? So Rashi explains the beautiful mashal, a beautiful uh, parable. He describes that: Imagine that there was a king who married um, a princess, um, deeply in love with her, goes off for a trip to the sea. And in the meantime, the the shafachos, the maid servants who are supposed to be serving her, um, their action their actions are pretty disgraceful, and deplorable, which create a bad name about. This about the princess who is married to the king, so much so that 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 it seems that the infidelity or the misbehavior has happened, and in order to protect the princess, what happens is one of the the shoshvina, one of the 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 attendants, goes and tears up the ksuba, the marriage contract of the princess to the king, so that the princess will not be condemned married to him when he comes back and finds the bad name that people are talking about her as a function of the shvachos, of these maidservants who were acting disgracefully. When the king goes back, he does a solid investigation and finds that, in fact, it was only as a function of the maidservants whom he dismisses, but the the queen, is her name is untainted even by the public rumors. And at that point in time, he turns to the Shoshvina, who is acting in a way to protect the madam, to protect her her mistress, and, says to, and he says to the Shoshvina, I, I would like you to rewrite the ksubah which you broke because of the importance. And so the Rashi concludes, that Hashem is their king, the, the nation of Israel is the queen, the shvachos, those who were acting disgracefully, with the era of those who instigated this infidelity, which reflected upon the nation of Israel, which almost brought the downfall. Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who destroyed the Luchos, which was the bridal contract between, of marriage. But now that he did that in defense of Israel, Hashem says, I would lovingly like you to, to create the new one. And part of the kickback, part of the, the riches that Moshe Rabbeinu received was as a function of his complete sacrificial perspective of self-sacrifice for the nation of Israel as a whole. Finally it's worthwhile noting that as the Yaakov Sidi Mecklenburg talked about when it came down to the Luchos, is understanding the the deeper understanding of the text is to be learned out of them. That's actually expanded through what's called Yidgimel, Midas, Sha and the thirteen attributes through which the Torah is understood, and that's what we say on a daily basis, Rabbi Shmal, the Brice of Rabbi Shmuel, before of Zimr on a daily basis. They should not be confused with the and the 13 attributes of God's mercy, but it is interesting that both of them do come to play in this Aliyah. What are these thirteen attributes of mercy? Then obviously, you can spend many hours just understanding each one of them. But it it is, it is, suffice to say, it seems to be that the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu interacts or chooses to interact with this world can be through, through certain prisms or characteristics. And these are the ones that we're asking Hashem to pivot towards, that these should be the focal lens through which he interacts with the world. Would be through these certain attributes hashem gave us these to say at times of distress to say at times where we we're not living up to things to, uh, to ask us to see i uh, see ourselves to see be seen in a more favorable light and that's how we say them around Slechos. this is the central part of the uh, of the prayers which are said around the yom Naraim and specifically yom kippur which is when this is all focused those last 40 days which is when they were actually given it is interesting that the Gomorrah does say in Rosh Hashanah, a very powerful idea on Yod Zain on Bays, that Israel Hashem says, Anytime that Israel sin, Yasulofana, Kasedira say, but this, this this set and I will always forgive them. And that's why Rabbi Yehuda says, that says, anytime they are said, there's a covenant that they will never return empty-handed, which is, is strange. Or well, is this a magic incantation? Is this a magic formula? What, 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 how does this work? What is the mechanics over here? So very famously, Rabbi Moshe Kodavira, the Ramak, in this living the 16th century, a Kabbalist in Tzfat, wrote a beautiful work called Tome Dvar, in which he explains in the first Perak in the first chapter, that in fact what is going on over here is not about how Hashem acts, but rather how Hashem reacts to the way we act. If we choose to act in a imatati deo, if we act in a way that we resemble these middle those, these, these acts of compassion towards other people, then Hashem in turn will turn to us in the same way as well. So therefore Hashem is really saying, if you are going to follow the example, then this is going to the way I will interact with you as well. So we are setting the key. In fact, as the Al-Sheikh points out, there's a deal in the Gemara, which is that it doesn't say, Yomru kasedra as say in front of me, but rather, Yasu lafonei act or do in this way and you won't be disappointed meaning this is not some sort of magical switch that we're flick- flicking this is about how to actually live a life deserving of those interfaces with hashem as well finally one last very beautiful point in this aliyah and that's hashem uh, at the end of this aliyah moshe abedu defends the nation of israel by saying they are in fact a I'm Keshe Arif. Hashem, please note that these are a very difficult, stiff-backed nation. The question that, 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 that is raised is the following: That was the very actual accusation that Hashem made back in the Lama base. Hashem said to Majorabenu, I'm going to destroy them because they are a stiff-necked nation. Look what they're doing: they're building an Egel Azov right now. Men Moshe at this critical moment, when he see, receives the Yer moment he says to Hashem, because a nation. But you should not be mentioning the claim of the plaintiff in the words of the defendant. Very, very strange. Why is he raising this point, which was in fact their accusation? Two beautiful approaches which are worthwhile thinking about. One is the approach of Rav Shem Shun Rafael Hirsch. Rav Hirsch points out that, in fact, the reason why Hashem chose us was because we were very difficult. We were that most difficult student. The people who don't accept what Hashem says just with hook, line, and sink. We don't just drink the Kool-Aid. We don't, we're don't. we not a, a, some sort of um, a group of people who are willing to just follow any cult leader because they, because they have a level of charisma and wait on a mountaintop in robes waiting for aliens to collect us. That's not the Jewish people. The Jewish people are cynical, difficult students. Students, people who are Amakashi Arif. And Moshe Rabbeinu is reminding HaKadosh Baruch, Hu, that's why you chose them, because if you can change that student, if you can choose and change the nation of Israel and make them a godly nation, then that is the greatest expression of godliness being true. Because the nation of Israel is willing to accept them, that's the point of Amkaseh Arifes here as well. That's the perspective of Hirsch. It's interesting to note that if you look in the Midrash Rabbah over here, Rabbi Huda ben Polovia, quotes Rabbi Meir, that um, that the idea is as follows: is that the Jew, the the the, the, the Israelite are obstinate, which is their survival mechanism. The reason why he's quoting it over here is, Oi, um, um, as he says, mm-hmm. Do you think it's for the negative? It's for their, their praise. It is with, uh, because there are many times where Jews had to choose between being a Jew or between being a Christian, being a person forced, many, many Jews died upon the altar of christianity um and died as proud jews and that is what what it's meant to be so Wash is raising is is amkashayorif is yes they're very stubborn and they make a lot of trouble at certain times but remember it's that same attribute which allows them to step upon all those <laughs> platforms and appreciate appreciate just how significant um your torah is throughout all the ages despite all the threats to stop this is the conclusion of the fifth i mean to have a wonderful and meaningful